Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Kite Runner. The Kite Runner was written by Halad Husseini and was published in 2003. And the film adaptation was directed by Mark Forster and came out in 2007. And this is a patron request. Yeah, it is. Um... Our patron, Bianca, requested this episode, and so we're really excited to do um, do this episode because, I mean, this is such uh, an important and well-loved book, and also just to do something that our patrons recommend, which is really exciting. Yeah, one of my favorite things about patron requests is they usually throw books at us and adaptations that, like, I usually have forgotten about or, you know, I'm not as familiar with, or things that are just, like usually really great suggestions. Oh, yeah. But like maybe you and I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Mm -hmm. This being one of them, because I remember how popular this book was. Definitely. Uh, I know I read it when I was in high school. I can't quite remember how old I was. Yeah. Uh, But I do remember reading it and specifically one. It's funny. I like had this hazy memory of like what the plot was. Yeah. But there was one specific moment, even like a line I remembered very specifically. (laughs) I'll talk about it when we get to it in the episode. Okay. Yeah, I was actually supposed to read this for class in in an English class I took, I think in 10th or 11th grade. I can't remember which. But um, it was one of those rare times for me where I had kind of a bad English teacher and the class was sort of dumb, so I didn't read it. It's funny how, like, even if you are someone who reads, if you have a teacher who's, like, laid back... You'll just be like, eh, I don't have to read this particular book. Well, and I knew it was sad... Mm, yeah. And so I was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that in my life right now. It, I'm in 10th grade. I'm good. <laughs> it is really heavy. Yeah. Really heavy for a high school book. Yeah. Definitely like just want to mention trigger warning in here that there is like rape and mentions of suicide as well. So um, yeah, I mean, I think most people know that from this book yeah. and know it's a heavy hitter in terms of the tears. <laughs> um, but I did just want to mention that at the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. It's just kind of got a like a really consistent like downer presence the whole time. Oh, yeah. I think it's good as like a book for people to read. I think it informs you a lot about Afghanistan, its history, kind of just like immigration and, you know, where people come from. And yeah, um, I think it's got a lot of good and important themes and messages and things to leave people thinking about. And I mean, in terms of books that are popular, Mm -hmm. I'm glad this was one of them. Definitely. And the timing that this came out couldn't have been more perfect Mm -hmm. because this was smack dab in the middle of, you know, the war with Afghanistan after 9-11. And so I think a lot of Americans were looking for more of a perspective on Afghanistan and the Middle East and what was going on there. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of um, very human uh, story of like redemption and friendship and family that themes that a lot of people can relate to, it really like became popular, I think, because of that. And book clubs actually drove most of the sales for this book. Wow, really? Yeah, because it was popular when it first came out in hardback. Mm -hmm. But then a year later when it came out in paperback, that's when it landed on the New York Times bestseller list. I wonder if there was like a specific 
you know, if it was just a general gradual build or if there was one particular, like, I know it wasn't, or at least I don't think on, like, Oprah's book club. No, but, but when wa- things go into paperback, it's just cheaper. That's true. That would to buy just in bulk for, propel it for in book general. Clubs, so. By the way, speaking of paperback, we had to buy this since the libraries are closed. Our paperback, we'll post it on Instagram and stuff, has the dumbest cover I've ever seen. It's, it's like It's real dumb. It's like a special edition or something of the book, but all it is is the original cover but smaller and it has like a carpet pattern around that yeah they just took the original cover and made it smaller yeah i'm like why why would you do why would you do that (laughs) (laughs) uh but let's let's jump into this uh we do get a uh brief opening kind of in the in the present uh or 2001 and where we meet Amir and he's in his late thirties, I believe. Yeah. And he receives a phone call from a ghost of his past. Yeah. And in the movie, we see that he is a writer. Mm-hmm. He's actually getting like copies of his book in the mail. And so then we travel back in time to young Amir in the seventies when he lived in Afghanistan. And let's talk a little bit about the main characters here. Yeah. There's, it's a very interesting, um, kind of political and uh, prejudiced kind of society that we're like uh, kind of ushered into going back into 70s Afghanistan. The main character, Amir, is 12 Yeah. In uh, at this point in the story, and he is a Pashtun. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And he is, he has a, a good friend, but also kind of a, um, a servant to an extent, named Hassan, mm-hmm. and, but he's a uh, Hazara. Yeah, and the Pashtuns are the ethnic majority mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. Um, and actually, I was I read a different book that talked about kind of the history of Pashtuns um, because uh, Malala Yousafzai is a Pashtun. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so there are also Pashtuns who live in uh, Pakistan, which is where she's from, mm-hmm. and in India as well. Um, but in Afghanistan, they're definitely the majority. Mm-hmm. And um, there are other ethnicities that live within Afghanistan. Hazara is one of them, being like definitely in the mi- minority and smaller. But the book spends a lot of time talking about the differences in appearance. Yeah. And particularly talks about Hassan having a more like Chinese Asian look. Yeah. And I was reading that this is due to um, like mongol uh nomads who basically came to afghanistan and you know created like a culture and society there yeah yeah it was really interesting to kind of like to read about a little bit and kind of get that uh cultural you know because i think you know i think sometimes americans have a very narrow scope of what racism is oh yeah because i mean you know america is in a lot of ways a, a huge melting pot of um, people from different countries and backgrounds and ethnicities. And so we think of like, oh, white people being racist against, you know, black people. And that's like racism. Yeah. But I mean, when you really go to see other countries, I think we, you know, have seen this in a lot of other books, like Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. Like these kind of like smaller microcosms of racism Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, Americans would be much too probably ignorant to even like notice any difference. Well, and the tendency for Americans to think in very broad terms of 
other ethnicities. Yes. So to th- think like, oh, that person is Middle Eastern. But really, when you go to these countries, there's many different countries, you know, with their individual cultures and identities. And then even within those countries, there di- there's different languages, mm-hmm. different ethnicities within that, and very deep, you know, divisions possibly and prejudices that we just pretend don't exist. Well, and much deeper histories too. Because America is still a very young country, but other countries, I mean, you're talking about the Middle East, you're talking about, I mean, thousands and thousands of years of uh, backgrounds, you know, prejudices that have formed. And so I I do really enjoy getting stories like this that kind of just really open your eyes to a lot of what goes on in other countries and things like that. Definitely. So Amir is uh, 12, you know, Hassan is, I think, 11. Yeah. And they're really good friends. um, But that uh, Pashtun-Hazara dynamic between them kind of does get in the way because Amir is reminded of it frequently. He does kind of look down at Hassan, kind of abuses his kind of uh, power over him. Definitely. And it's too reflected in their personalities. Hassan is mostly described as just like a general good guy. Yeah. He's just like, I'm just going to be the best and kindest and meekest and gentlest soul in the entire world. Um, He's often compared to a lamb, uh, specifically a lamb to a slaughter, (sighs) um, which is uh, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) It's not subtle. No, it is this not. This book is a lot of things. Subtle is not one it of them. It is not, no. Uh, but he really admires Amir and looks up to him and, you know, believes that they have this true friendship. Whereas we're reading the book, we can clearly see. I'm watching the movie as well. That, like, he's, Hassan is Amir's servant. You know, he's, like, getting him breakfast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one can really have a true and uh, equitable friendship with that type of dynamic going on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do. I think the book does a really good job of illustrating this aspect of the story. The movie, I think, it, it does try. You know what I mean? I think it does genuinely try to yeah. establish these qualities. There is a scene early on when uh, Amir and Hassan are... Uh, kind of ambushed by these three bullies. Yeah. And Hassan defends them or defends him and Amir with a slingshot and mm-hmm. kind of like pushes them back. But the bully, uh, Asef, is kind of pointing out all of the like the almost like the problems with their friendship. Yeah. Telling Hassan like, oh, yeah, you're his servant. Like you two aren't friends, you know. And- yeah. And why doesn't he play with you when other people are around or things like that? Yeah, and that kind of shows us that there it is really unequal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amir's also kind of resentful of Hassan, maybe because he is so just good-natured and gentle and good. Um, and also because his father, which we're going to re- refer to Amir's father as Baba, um, even though that's not his name. That's yeah. what Amir calls him, and uh, he's referred to that throughout the book. Um, so Amir's father, Baba, really seems to love Hassan, and... Yeah. Amir is very jealous of his father's affection. Yeah, I mean, Hassan does have his own dad who is also a servant at the house, his father, Ali. Yeah. But um, yeah, Amir's dad, Baba, does still kind of like act very fatherly towards Hassan, you know, always remembers his birthday, wants to include him when they go out and stuff. So it is, you know, and and, and Baba is kind of painted. I, I think he's by far the most interesting character in the story. Definitely. He's very complicated. 
uh, he's kind of this almost mythic figure, especially to Amir when he's younger. Yeah. This, I mean, he, he like he tells this story about fighting a bear. Yeah. And Amir is like, I would have called it bullshit, but he's got these like scars on his back. <laughs> so he can almost like believe it. Yeah. And his dad is almost like the pinnacle of masculinity. Yeah. Especially in this culture. Um, he's rich. He's friendly. He's charismatic. Um, he just has friends everywhere. Everyone wants to be his friend. He's athletic. He's got like a, a nice beard. He's like burly. <laughs> yeah, he's handsome. Yeah. And Amir is just constantly in his shadow. And he feels like he is never good enough with Baba. And we actually get in the movie and in the book as well. But I think the movie does a good job of showing us this early. Um, Baba talking to his business partner, Rahim, and saying that, you know, Amir is weak and kind of mm-hmm. criticizing him. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's really heartbreaking because, like you said, Bob is like the embodiment of masculinity, yeah. including all the toxic masculinity oh, as yeah. well. Because Bob is like, oh, he uh, doesn't defend himself enough against bullies. And he likes like, to read he, books. He likes to read. He's not good <laughs> at sports. He's just kind of like really uh, just down on Amir for a lot of these things. And it really impacts Amir. Like, oh, yeah, he's really kind of. Uh, very critical of himself and doubting himself because he is always kind of after Baba's love. Yeah. But is always kind of feeling like he's missing the mark. And it's also worth mentioning Amir's mother died while giving birth to him. Yeah. So he also feels like maybe Baba is somewhat resentful towards him because he like killed his mom. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, so they have a really complicated uh an interesting relationship and and bob is also kind of like a very liberal man in a lot of ways for that society at that time definitely he talks a lot about not being religious mm-hmm. um and kind of following you know the muslim religion in the way that a lot of people are like catholic mm-hmm. where you're just doing it kind of like the least amount that you have to do to be like acceptable <laughs> yeah but he doesn't really believe it Um, And he has conversations with Amir about it, too, just kind of being like, you know, that's all kind of bullshit. Um, And he's he's more of like a I would describe him as like self-made man Mm -hmm. believes in like the virtues of like himself and is very like self-centered. He's got a really good speech in the book and the movie where he talks about how theft is the only real sin. Yeah. And how every actual great sin is a variation of theft. If you kill a man, you're taking his life. You're taking someone's father and someone's husband. And if you tell a lie, you're, you know, uh, stealing the truth. Yeah, yeah. And so I really like that. Because he's talking about, like, I fucking eat pork. I don't care. Like, I'll yeah. smoke. I'll I drink. drink whiskey. Like, that's that doesn't matter. He was like, I hope God has better things to worry about than, like, me drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, though, because, like, I don't think he does seem to really love Hassan, even though he is a Hazara and kind of his servant. But I also don't think he does enough to um, teach Amir that, like, they're not beneath them. Yeah. Which is hard when you're literally, they're, like, in servitude to them. So he is kind of, like... Neglectful. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. And he does kind of seem disinterested in Amir in a lot of ways as well. And I just want to briefly mention the actor who plays the dad. I don't know who he is in Mm -hmm. the movie, but I really liked him. 
He was definitely the best actor. I was going to say, I think he's the best person in the movie. In the movie, for sure. Yeah, he's just got a really good um, presence to him. Yeah. And... He really captures that, like, larger-than-life version Mm -hmm. of Baba. And, like, with the suits, like, the 70s-type suits. (laughs) And then, like, with the fancy car and just kind of having, like, a swagger to him. Yeah, I think um, when you start watching the movie, at least for me, you have this image is almost like cartoonish image of Baba in your head of like how big and masculine he is. Yeah. And you see the actor and at first it's a little bit like, okay, I guess like, yeah, there's no one who's going to actually look and be like that. But I think he does a really good job of just having that presence to him. Definitely. That kind of, um, kind of almost it demands respect kind of, but he's like very friendly and outgoing. And Mm -hmm. that scene much later when they're in America in the bar, I really like when he's like starting a party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's just the type of guy that literally, you know, you'd start talking to him and you would want to be his friend immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about kite fighting. Let's talk about kite fighting. I have (laughs) a lot of questions, a lot of just like, just a lot of questions about kite fighting. I yeah. thought the movie would answer some of them. It doesn't. Not really. If anything, there's more questions. <laughs> and so I find the whole like setup and environment for this like super interesting and I really like it. Uh, the kite season is in the wintertime in Afghanistan because mm-hmm. um, it snows. And it's really interesting. They're off of school in the winter. Yeah, yeah. So instead of having like a summer vacation, they have a winter vacation because everyone doesn't want to like be out in the snow. Which makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. Um. So when it's snowing, Amir always looks forward to that time because there's no school. They get to be cozy inside and then mm-hmm. they get to do the kite fighting. So I feel like this really sets the scene for this. Yeah. Um. But yeah, then they're like, all right, fight. yeah so they just it's hard to imagine because it looked very different in the movie they um run the kite line through glass like broken glass and glue yeah and i think like in your head you kind of picture it being like chunkier but it's like powdery almost it looks like yeah and it's very fine it talks so much in the book how much they cut their hands yeah doing it like constantly at one point in the book, he talks about, like, he tested the line by running it through his fingers and, like... Oh, it, good blood. It was bloody. He's like, oh, this is primo, top of the line. I did read that they don't glass up their entire line. Okay. That they only do, like, a portion of it. That would make sense. And some of the, like, um, obviously the line that's closer to the kite would be the one that has the glass on it. Because the thing is with the kite fighting is you're flying a kite, but you're also, like, trying to cut the line of the other kites that are flying. Because it's, like, a whole kite fighting tournament that Mm -hmm. happens in Kabul. So, like, you have to make sure your string is, like, strong, and I'm guessing that's, like, the glue part. But also you have to make sure, like, no one can, like, get to your line. Yeah, because the thing I didn't understand was, like, if you're crisscrossing your glass line with someone else's like what determines whose cuts whose i think it's the motion okay like the motion of the kite you like know what if I mean? you're slashing or not yeah yeah i guess that would make the most sense that's the only thing i can figure out yeah because then the other thing was like i just can't even imagine. And the movie doesn't do much to solve this because the movie uses a lot of CGI yeah. kite action scenes, mm-hmm. which I think works well enough. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, it's kind of stylized to a point where it's like the CGI isn't always the best, but it feels intentional in a way. Yeah. But really, you're not actually watching them fly kites. I read that like they're just like pulling on strings that were like kind of slightly weighted. Yeah. Uh, to give the effect that they were pulling on kite strings. Yeah. But I'm like, I genuinely want to see someone do this. I know. I don't know how you control a kite. I can't even get a kite off the ground when I was like, like seven. I think I tried to fly one and it was just a dud. I couldn't get it off the ground. Yeah. Well, the article I read about it was talking about how much like slack and tension you have on your Mm -hmm. and like how much line you're letting out at a time as well that you can like let out and then pull and like you can get the kite to kind of move in the direction that you want. Okay. So sort of like this almost art to it in terms of like letting some out, pulling it back in, like quickly letting some out and then, or like quickly pulling and like the effects on that. Yeah. Which is why it's like a two person job where one person is kind of controlling the line and the other person is kind of like either spooling up or spooling out. Yeah. Cause I mean there, it sounds like they're performing very technical. I mean, in the movie, it just looks like spinning. They're just yeah. constantly spinning the kites. Yeah. But it sounds like very technical maneuvers in the books. Like, oh, let's get them with the swish and cross and like the, the backhanded swoop, and dive, swoop or something. and dive. Yeah, that was the one. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I have no clue. I'm like, this sounds like it's made up because I cannot imagine <laughs> how anyone could do any of this. Interestingly, I read that like many countries do this and not just countries in that part of the world. Really? Like some in uh, South America and like Japan or like the um, South Pacific. So a bunch of different areas hmm. do like kite fighting, some type of kite fighting. Interesting. Yeah, It was just hard to grasp in the book reading it. And then the movie didn't exactly answer our questions as to like no. what was happening. I did like the movie scene though, because I felt like it was tense. Mm-hmm. It built tension really well, especially as Amir and Hassan are f- like flying his kite and they're slowly like eliminating the other kites. And then it's just like the two kites. Yeah. And then, you know, Amir's kite finally like wins and it's so exciting. Yeah, it's this big momentous, uh, you know, event because. Uh, It's like one of the few things that Amir shares with his dad. His dad used to be a really good kite fighter. So it's that one, it's like that one bonding thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and so he's like so happy that he won this tournament because he's just always after the affection of his dad and Hassan runs after because the other aspect is when the kites fall the kids go chase them yeah and it's always like this stampede of children trying to catch the fallen and whoever kites. catches it like you get it yeah and that thus the kite runner mm-hmm. and hassan is kind of like really well known for it. he just has a good instinct for where they'll land he's also very fast yeah so uh he's very good at running the kites and he promises amir i'm gonna go catch that fallen kite that you just took out to win and i'll bring it back yeah and this is almost like proof of Amir's achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hassan goes missing and Amir looks for him and finds Hassan cornered by Asef, the bully, and his cronies. Um, and Amir, out of self-preservation possibly, decides to hide and just see what happens instead of like maybe being like, oh shit, I should get help. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would be like the most natural reaction to be like, I can't handle this on my own. Instead of just hiding here, I should go get an adult. Yeah, I agree. And also the situation for me reading it was a little bit like 
forced because it kind of goes against like a few different things that we've like learned up to this point. Number one, Hassan is fast. Yeah. So for him to be like caught in this way seemed a little bit like, mm. and also the fact that like a stampede of kids usually follow the kite. Yeah. So like. How could he be like isolated? Yeah. If other people were also coming with him. And why would he even run from a crowded group? You know what I mean? Cause like yeah. a Seth wouldn't like attack him. In the open. No, not, I, I can't imagine. So, like, the whole situation, like, just felt a little bit, like, overly contrived to be, like, cornered in an alley with, like, no one around. And, yeah. And I was like, all right. It just felt like it was kind of going against some things we had just learned. Yeah. Without much explanation. Mm-hmm. But, yes, Hassan is cornered, uh, Amir watching, and he quickly realizes that this um, encounter isn't just going to be a physical assault, but also a sexual assault. Yeah. Hassan is raped by uh, Asef, who is many things, one of them definitely a sociopath. Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is as clear in the movie, but in the book, it's pretty obvious. And also a Nazi. <laughs> Somehow he is a Muslim Nazi. Well, his, yeah, his mom was German, right? Yeah. And so he has blue hair and uh, or, god damn it <laughs> blue eyes and, and blonde hair uh and so yeah so he has all these like and i, I don't know if this was um i'm kind of not sure the purpose of this angle i don't know if like hitler influence had any or if hitler had any kind of like his legacy had any influence on like the taliban or anything later on or yeah. i'm kind of not sure if historically this was like planting the seed of something or if it was merely just a character uh that he created like just kind of for the specific purpose yeah but yeah he's kind of a really he's just sociopathic in this crazy blend of like hitler youth qualities yeah and amir runs away and then finds hassan later and doesn't mention anything and to me Honestly, like, he's 12. Yeah. So it's like, of course, you don't know what to do in that situation. And mm -hmm. he was very afraid of being hurt as well. So I don't really blame Amir for not doing anything or saving Hassan. What I do blame Amir for is not acknowledging that he saw what happened or even, like, saying anything to Hassan about it. Because yeah. when you see someone that you love hurt, like your natural reaction is to try and comfort them if you can or get them help if you can. And Amir, I, I get that it being like a self-preservation thing, but he kind of like callously turns his face away from Hassan in many ways. And it's just like, oh, where were you? Yeah, I think, I do think it creates, it builds up enough of a, like not a justified reason, but a reason why he doesn't say anything. I think the whole you know, Amir feels like he's already felt like a coward because Hassan's always, always standing up for him. Yeah. So if he admitted to just watching, it would only like emphasize that more and make him feel like shittier about what happened. Um, or tell someone, you know? Yeah. No, like, I tell Baba. I agree. But like Baba, once again, is like someone he doesn't want to admit to being like, yeah, I just stood there and did nothing. Yeah. So I, I get it. It's incredibly frustrating for me. I mean, he's going to sprinkle on a lot more shit in 
just a moment. Yeah. But up until this point, I like at least kind of get it mm-hmm. to an extent or like can understand how a 12 year old would like maybe react in this way. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention briefly, though, we kind of talked about it already a bit, but like Hassan and his characterization, I kind of have a little bit of a bit of an issue with it because like it is very emotionally manipulative it in is, a lot of ways. To create a character who is so pure mm-hmm. and innocent and then continually drag him through the dirt to pull on our emotional heartstrings yeah it just does every possible thing to this character throughout the story and he's like so pure at one point they're like hassan would never lie to us yeah and like he's just like so good and he's like never he like sees the best in everyone no matter how shitty they are and like all these things and like the book is is very like uh well i mean first of all we said it's not very subtle in a lot of ways. I'd say it's allegorical almost. Yeah, it feels like a fable or like like a myth in some ways. Like characters are just uh, uh, archetypes in a lot of ways. Definitely. And there's a lot of coincidences throughout the story and like things reconnecting and coming back. So it is very much like a style. Yeah. Um, Kind of like an intentional uh, way. Like the stories that Amir tells, you know, to Hassan in the book perhaps yeah no so i i do i do get it and i but i do feel like it's worth mentioning that i do feel like the whole characterization of Hassan is like too far i think in the oh he's just the purest of pure hearts in the world i agree and actually i read an article where the author was talking about his newest book which came out in 2013 so it was was still a little while Mm. ago um but he was saying that uh, if he could go back, he would have like changed the characters. He really? like specifically said like, yeah, Hassan doesn't really have a character and a lot mm-hmm. of the characters are pretty, uh, one dimensional. Yeah. And he, Interesting. yeah, he talked about it being like, yeah, it's definitely like a first novel. And if I could go back, I would probably write something different, but like, there's no way to go back and do that. So interesting. Wow. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him for admitting what you maybe wish you had changed in a book or something. I mean, like I said, I think for the most part, he gets away with it. It feels like the intentional tone of the story for the most part. Yeah. Um, But it is an interesting kind of quality to it. Yeah. I also want to mention how controversial this rape scene ended up being for the movie. So we were reading a lot about the movie in the background, in background um, research, which we usually do. And so basically like, the child actors who were involved in this movie were getting death threats. Oh my God. From this scene specifically. Wow. And um, they lived in Afghanistan, I think, or were from that area. That's what I've read or was implied. And people in Afghanistan, not everyone, but some people were very upset by this because, you know, in Muslim, in many Muslim cultures, homosexuality is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they also, there was some objection to portraying the racial tensions between Pashtun and Hazara as well. Mm-hmm. And so there was fear that like this movie would incite like racial violence in the country. Wow. And also, um, yeah, the kids were getting death threats. So they actually um, pushed back the release date of the movie and relocated the child actors 
to a different country. Yeah, to China, right? Um, United Arab Emigrants. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them actually, like, returned to Afghanistan, but then had to leave again because it was so bad for them. Wow. Like, they, this is like, this fucked up their life. Boy. (laughs) I know. Uh, Wow, that's really sad to hear. It is, definitely. Um, so Amir goes from being shitty to just the worst. The absolute worst. He's like, I can't live with Hassan looking at me every day with those sad, childlike, lamb-like eyes anymore. So he plants money and only a watch in the movie, uh, in Hassan's house to try to get Hassan and his dad fired. Yeah, uh, I do want to say too, like, you know, I do think the movie suffers a little bit from the performances of the child actors. Yeah, I don't think that like it's any failing on their part. I just think that like the movie relies so much on them being like the narrative driver. And I mean, the kid who plays Amir has to portray like this quiet, like resentful guilt like this complicated shame shame, like all these like emotions that are like oh yeah i think he does like fine with it Mm -hmm. but i do think like you're just sort of like why is this happening kind of like you almost need like a like crazy exceptionally amazing child actor to like really pull off a role like this or more expositional scenes that show what he's going yeah, through. Yeah, or, or like a voiceover of some kind. Like, I, I rarely feel like that's a good solution, but I think it would have been something in this Yeah. Uh, to maybe drive the the emotions and what's going on a little bit more. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Baba finds out about the watch uh, and Slash in the book The Stolen Money, and he confronts Hassan and his dad about it. And Amir's like, all right, like rubbing his hands together. This is the moment. And yeah. then Bob is like, OK, I forgive you. Yeah. And Hassan admits to it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because he's so kind and good that he's like, well, I don't want Amir to get in trouble. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't do it. And so he says that he did it. And then Baba does. He does. He's like, I forgive you. And but despite this, Ali, Hassan's father, says, we can't live here anymore. And in the book, it's clear that Ali knows what's going on and what happened to Hassan. And I think is just like, I can't put my kid through this anymore. No. And he knows like he was framed by this shitty little monster. Yeah. Who I'm like paid to serve. Yeah. And he's like, I can't. Yeah. That was like very, it's an important aspect to this encounter. Yeah. I think in the movie, it wasn't exactly clear why they were leaving. No, it was almost like, oh, we're too shameful by what by what my son did. We have to go. Yeah. Like, that seemed to be, like, the most of it. Mm-hmm. And the dad is, like, clearly upset. Like, I forgive him. Like, it's fine. You don't have to go. And he's like, yeah. nope, nope, we're going. Our bags are packed. He's like, don't go. And he's like, uh-uh, I can't hear you. I'm out the door. <laughs> but bye. <laughs> yeah. So it is a little, like, that plot line's a little muddled in the movie. I agree. In terms of, like, what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not soon after this, I guess I said not soon after this. <laughs> so I guess in the book, it's not very soon after this. So we have a little bit of a time difference here. In the movie, um, pretty soon after this, there is um, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And 
So Amir and Baba actually flee Afghanistan to Pakistan. In the book, though, some time has passed. So in the book, Amir is 18 when they leave. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, it seems like only a month or two later when they leave. So he's still like 12 or 13. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of this really devastating moment. I didn't quite... It happened so quickly in the movie, I don't think he really felt the full impact of it. Because no. it was immediately after Hassan left. Yeah. And then it's like, mortar shells are going off, we gotta go. And then they're just like packing up and leaving. Yeah. But I mean, like, they're leaving their home and their country and everything behind. With and no idea when they can come back. No, absolutely not. Uh, Baba leaves the house in the care of his business partner and friend, Raheem Khan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just have to, they have to flee. Yeah, and they make it to Pakistan. There's this very tense scene where they have to climb into a the fuel tank of like an oil tanker or something. Yeah. Um, which is nuts. And the book is very specific about how like suffocating and like just terrifying it felt in there. And this person in there actually died. They yeah. like suffocated essentially. Which I read that um actually Either the author's family or his wife's family, like someone died this way. Wow. Trying to flee. It's, yeah, I mean, it like, I can't say for sure that I would have like guessed that necessarily, but it did have that kind of like. Realism to it. Yeah, it it really did. That kind of like, you could just imagine being in one of those, like the darkness and like the fumes and the suffocating air. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's a very... It's a very disturbing part to read. Yeah. And after they get to Pakistan, they're then able to uh, emigrate to America. Yeah. And we get uh, another time jump where, you know, uh, in the book, uh, Amir graduates high school. Mm-hmm. His dad is there. His dad's working now at a gas station. They're kind of living in a shitty apartment. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot of money to their name. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like they go to like this, um, uh, what do you call it? Flea market? Flea market. Yeah. This, th- th- it's like a lot of Afghanis go there to like. Sell. Yeah. Stuff. They hit up a lot of garage and yard sales mm-hmm. and then they sell their wares in the flea market. It is kind of cool that there's like this whole community of, um, people that have left Afghanistan and have settled in San Francisco in the California area. Um, and they have this little like, oh, yeah, and here's our flea market. And this is how we make like yeah. extra money. But yeah, in the movie, though, <laughs> we cut to a graduation. And Ian and I, who read the book, are thinking it's a high school graduation. And we see the Amir actor. And he's like a 30-year-old a man. It's like the adult act. And I, in my head going into this moment, thinking it's a high school graduation, I was like, boy, I sure hope that they just like didn't get a middle actor and they just immediately go to the adult actor. (laughs) And when you see him, I mean, he's got like the biggest, like most chiseled butt chin ever. It's really square (laughs) jaw. And when we saw him, we were like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, It was later when they're celebrating that it's revealed that it was his uh, college graduation. Yeah, but still. Still, he's still old, but I'm like, okay, I can I can buy that. I can accept that. Yeah. But part of me still wishes it was his high school graduation. <laughs> and he's just like, here I am, a 30-year-old man. He like stands up and he's like two heads taller than everyone else around him. 
Yeah. Uh, but that was just a really funny moment for us watching it, assuming he was a high school graduate. Definitely. <laughs> Amir does want to go to school to become a writer. There's some tension with him and Baba over this, but actually I feel like Baba accepts it pretty easily. Yeah, he just like, ugh, okay, fine. fine. I guess you'll just be working at the gas station with me after you graduate. He's just kind of <laughs> like slightly shitty about it. Yeah. But uh, ultimately he is cool with it. I do like the time jump and seeing the changed dynamic between Amir and Baba. I do too. Baba feels like a different person now. Mm -hmm. Um, And Amir mentions this about America, that he views America as his chance to like forget his life in Afghanistan and to forget his shame and every like shitty thing he did to Hassan. And I feel like in America too, it's a chance for Baba to be a different person. Maybe not the person he wants to be because he's stripped of all his wealth, his fame, his popularity, his friends, you know, everything he had. And so I, it does feel like kind of a second chance for him and Amir. They seem a lot closer yeah. than they were in Afghanistan, probably because they have to rely on each other. They have no one else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think like, you see a lot of Baba's qualities in like a new light. Yeah. Like there is a scene when they're escaping, when he stands up to a uh, a Russian soldier yeah. and stops this woman from being uh, raped by him. Mm-hmm. And it's this really like tense standoff scene. And you kind of see Baba in almost like this heroic light. Yeah. Kind of standing up to this guy. And it is a good scene. Uh, but then later... Uh, in America, he's buying something you know, in the book, at least in a convenience store, he's buying something and he like flips out because he asked for his like ID or yeah. a credit card and he's like pissed and he like throws something over and like Amir has to be like apologizing and like cleaning up and he's like, he doesn't mean it. Um, so we do kind of see like the qualities of that, that character and how they kind of translate to different because he's so out of his element in America. Yeah. yeah. And so I really like seeing that transformation and how Amir not kind of now has to be taking care of him in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah. It, it, it is one of the most interesting for me, one of the most interesting aspects of the book. Yeah. And their relationship. Amir meets a pretty lady at the flea market. Yeah. Uh, Soraya. And she is the daughter of a man who was an Afghanistan general. And they kind of like flirt and talk a little bit. And then the general is like, how dare you talk to my daughter before marriage? (laughs) (laughs) It is funny, like the how subtle he has to try to be Amir and like talking to her. And he's like, oh, do you do you read? Is that a book? He's like, tell me about that book for two seconds. Okay, I got to go by. Do you eat food? (laughs) (laughs) What kinds of foods do you eat? Yeah. Yeah, He has to just like quickly talk to her for two seconds before the dad comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, and I, I do, I, it is interesting to um, read about like these kind of different customs oh, yeah. in other countries about dating and relationships. And Soraya it, specifically talks about the double standard yes, in terms yeah. of men and women in Afghan. And I know a lot of Muslim cultures that men are allowed to kind of do whatever they want, but women are very closely scrutinized. And in fact, there's scenes in the movie and scenes in the book where they're talking at the flea market and they have to make sure like her mom is there or in the movie, there's like people watching them talk to each other when literally like they're in a public place. There's like a table between them. They're just talking. And yet people are like, Hmm, Mm -hmm. it looks like her virtue is leaking out. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And I do like that, you know, even though, so 
uh, Amir's father, Baba, gets very sick. He has lung cancer, and it's pretty much like he's not going to recover. He's going to die. And Amir is able to ask like one final request for him, which is for his father to talk to Soraya's father. And because this is how it's done, like, you know, yeah. the fathers have to talk to each other and then an agreement is made. And so Baba is able to do this for Amir. And it is kind of sweet that they have this and he's able to see Amir married and happy before he eventually dies. Yeah. And I think this is a good example of where the book, how like it never lets you be too happy. No. At any given point. Like even now, like Amir falls in love and he gets married and like all this other stuff. But like also Baba is quickly dying. Yeah. And like deteriorating and it's like still super sad. So like maintains like a baseline sadness sadness throughout yeah Yeah. throughout the entire story me and i talked about like graphing the book sadness (laughs) (laughs) and like wait and then it goes sad and then it's like a little bit happy and then more sad yeah like trying to chart it like the baseline is sad because it never gets happy it'll never go in the opposite direction of that no Yeah, so Baba eventually passes away, mm-hmm. and Amir and Soraya try to have kids. It's it's more prominent in the book. They try to have kids, but it's just not uh, working. They're kind of not entirely sure what the problems are, but uh, so yeah, so they don't have kids, and I think it's like, how many years later when we get the call? I mean, Amir is in his late 30s, so yeah. at least, I think, 15? years have passed maybe oh my God, wow. or or so um yeah because he got married pretty early in his 20s right yeah it was it was wasn't it yeah, yeah so um yeah so this is when we get the call from raheem khan mm-hmm. uh baba's old business partner and the man he left his house to like the estate to because like at the time they were hoping to come back at some point yeah uh and it is interesting because like Politically, what happened was essentially the um, the Russians were forced out of Afghanistan by the Taliban. Yeah. And it was seen as like this triumphant moment at the time. Raheem Khan does talk about this later yeah. to, to Amir. But he's like, everyone was so happy dancing in the street because like we got our... our you know, our country back. Yeah. And clearly the Taliban did not work out. No. <laughs> and he kind of talks about the ensuing... Uh, terror, pro- terror, and and issues that came from that, and the views and Islamic extremism that kind of took over and kind of just further dragged the country into decay. Yeah, and this reminded me again a lot of uh, Malala's memoir mm. because she talks about the Taliban, you know, taking control of her country as well, and like how many, you know, how many people suffered and like what happened there. I really know? need to read that book. Oh, it's so I, good. I love Malala. She's amazing. God bless her. She's, she's a hero. <laughs> uh, so Raheem Khan, he's like, there's a way to be good again. Mm-hmm. I know how fucking shitty you are, Amir. <laughs> he's like, and it's time to pay up. Yeah. And he's like, you need to come to Pakistan. And also I'm dying. Also I'm dying. <laughs> come to Pakistan. Uh, and see me. So Amir, you know, immediately takes off. He packs up and he goes to visit Raheem Khan. Yeah. Meets with him. He's clearly like in the last few months of his life. He's very, very sick. Mm-hmm. And he drops a lot of info on Amir. Oh, yeah. Big, first, in, big info dump. First, he tells him that he found Hassan um, after they left the country mm-hmm. and brought Hassan and his wife back to the house to help him run it 
but basically to be servants again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that Hassan had a son and everybody was living like mostly okay for a while until the Taliban shot Hassan and his wife. And this is the part in the book that I just reached peak sadness, honestly. I was just like, I cannot handle this. It was just too sad to see this character, Hassan, who's so innocent and pure and good, just get like shot in the street. I know. And I mean, even in the book, Hassan's mom, who abandoned him after birth, uh, shows up. Yeah. And is like, hey. And Hassan is like, I'll be mad at you for like one night and then I'll let you live here and I'll take care of you. Yeah. And so he's just like the purest of pure souls, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful because in the book, uh, Amir Khan is like, or I'm sorry, Raheem. (laughs) Damn it. Raheem (laughs) Khan is like, let me tell you a story. And he tells him this like long story, starting with, oh, I needed help. And so I met uh, or I found Hazan. God, I can't. I'm getting all my names mixed up. I'm sorry. I found Hassan and his wife and brought them back. And he like goes on the whole, whole story. And he's like, oh, and they're dead. And now they're dead. And Amir is just like, oh, my God. Like, he's just. Yeah. Why did you not start with that? And yeah. thankfully in the movie, he's like, listen, Hassan's dead. Yeah. Now let now let me fill you in. Now it, we'll go. Instead yeah. of in the book, he like builds up to it. And Amir's just like, oh my and God. I think that's why I was so sad. Because I was like, oh, they were like happy. And he had a son, Sorab. And they were like, fine. And then he's like, oh yeah. And then they just murdered him. And it was just, it was very, very upsetting to read. Uh, in the movie, he's also like, when he's revealing this information to Amir, he's like moving around to different spots in the apartment. It's like, come sit over here. And then I'm over here. Then I'm going to go over here. You know, I mean, that is a very classic kind of like filmmaking, uh, thing to do. If you have like a long scene of like discussion and talking to have the characters move around, like change the blocking yeah. so it doesn't get too stagnant. Mm-hmm. And it like almost works, but I think they just do it like one too many times. Yeah. Also, the movements aren't motivated by anything. No. Like usually a character will like walk up to a picture and look at it while they're talking or like emotional. They walk to the window and the character follows. Like usually it's like motivated by the story yeah. or something. But in this, they just kept like getting, getting up, up and, and moving. moving to a different seat. And at one point, Amir was like, Followed him into another room and sat down and like Raheem said two things and then stood up again. <laughs> like it was so quick. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, in terms of like the filmmaking of this movie, it's fine. There are, it's kind of mixed. There are points when it feels pretty good. Yeah. And for the most part, the acting feels pretty decent. There are other points, though, like that it feels very cheap. In a way, Mm. for some reason, the first scene, like the very first scene, and we come back to it when Amir answers the phone. Yeah. uh, Like the view out the window. I thought the same thing. I was like, what? What is this? I'm like, is it green? I couldn't tell if it was like green screen or if it was just lit in a poor way that made it look fake. Yeah. But it looked like super fucking fake. It did. Uh, (laughs) And there's like other parts in the movie that are like are similarly like for the most part, sets are real. Everything's like pretty real. The filmmaking, there's nothing, like, too super interesting about how it's shot or anything. No. The acting is varied. Like I said, a lot of the child actors are, like, fine. They're Mm -hmm. passable. I think Baba's very good. Yeah. Old Amir, 
is good sometimes. He's all right. He's fine. He's yeah. passable sometimes. Other times he's like slightly better. Uh, but ultimately, it, it's kind of a mixed bag, I'd say, overall. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Rahim also gives a reveal that Hassan was actually Amir's half-brother. So Baba had uh, an illicit relationship with a Hazara woman who was also his servant's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she bore a son who was Hassan and that this whole time he knew that and like couldn't acknowledge that Hassan was his son. Um, so this explains a lot of Baba's, uh, resentment towards Amir and also, um, kindness and love towards Hassan. Um, yeah, it just, I feel like it paints Baba as a very complicated figure, which I like, but he's also very shitty. He is. He's adequately shitty yeah uh but i do like the complexity to Me him too. i think he's like he's the most he's the deepest character out of anyone in the story by far absolutely and i think he's really way deeper than amir even yeah amir is just like the ghosts of my past yeah i can't sleep at night <laughs> and you know there is a thing we we did an episode on another book we did an episode on i won't say which book but there's another character in that story the main character who's like this traumatic thing that he did in his past and he's ashamed of it yeah and i love it because at the end of the book he finally confesses to a group of people like in a like he's an aa yeah he confesses in a meeting what he did and everyone's just kind of like oh okay yeah and just the realization that like what you've built up to yourself as being terrible yeah is oftentimes like just human yeah and And people don't care no yeah and i think that's I think it's a really important message. And I think ever since I've read that book, books like this, it's kind of taken away a bit. Yeah. Specifically, like, if you went to therapy. Oh, my God, Ian. <laughs> if everyone in this book was just in therapy, so many problems would be solved. So many. He he, he could, like, realize that the ghosts of his past, he's like, he was 12. And, yeah. like, yeah, he did some shitty things. And you know what? If Amir was in therapy like way early, like at all or way earlier in his life, he probably would have been able to work through his childhood trauma, maybe even enough to try to reach out to Hassan and find him. Yeah, because this is another... Like he never tried to contact Mm-mm. him, nothing. Yeah. And this is another problem because like, and once again, this story is very fable-like. Yeah. So it kind of gets a pass on some of these things, but like uh, the main reason Raheem Khan asks... uh uh amir there is because he's like hassan and his wife are dead and his son is still in afghanistan and like i want you to go find him and and bring him here yeah where he can be safe because he's definitely not safe there yeah and of course amir is like what the fuck like couldn't you pay someone to do this and he's like no you have to do this but it is very fable like you must return to your homeland Mm -hmm. and like atone for your sins and yeah and when, on the other hand, it's like, well, if you really wanted him to atone, couldn't you have, like, reached out to him when Hassan was living yeah. with you in that house and been like, hey, do you want to make up for the shitty thing you did? Help Hassan get his family out of this country. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, you're a successful author. I know you're probably not stinking rich, but, like, you can help more than anyone, probably. Like, Definitely. instead of, like... Hey, listen, I know it seems like it's too late because Hassan is dead and his wife is dead uh, and his son is in an orphanage now. But like maybe now you should help, you know, (laughs) only now. This is the right time. (laughs) Now is the time after way too much shit has gone down. 
Uh, Amir eventually agrees to this, though, and so he has a driver that's going to take him into Afghanistan and bring him to this orphanage um, so he can bring Sorab, Hassan's son, back. And we get kind of this revisiting of Afghanistan and Kabul, which is the city that uh, Amir and Hassan grew up in. And this, like, coming face to face with, like, wow, this is what you know, my country is now and look yeah. how, how terrible things are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really insightful moment for him to see just like how ravaged the country is, like the amount of poverty and desperation that's all around him. Yeah. And he's I, I, the driver, the character of the driver. What was his name? Farid. Farid. Uh, they have a really interesting dynamic. Farid just assumes automatically he's there to like sell some land he owns and like yeah. get the fuck out, you know. So I really like their back and forth a lot. And I mm-hmm. think you have a passage that you Yeah, read. so I feel like there is a specific passage that I'm gonna read that talks about um Amir returning to uh Afghanistan. So uh, I'm gonna start it here. Strange, I said. What? I feel like a tourist in my own country, I said, taking in a goat herd leading a half dozen emaciated goats along the side of the road. Farid snickered, tossed his cigarette. You still think of this as your country? I think a part of me always will, I said, more defensively than I had intended. After 20 years of living in America, he said, swerving the truck to avoid a pothole the size of a beach ball. I nodded. I grew up in Afghanistan. Farid snickered again. Why do you do that? Never mind, he murmured. No, I want to know. Why do you do that? In his rearview mirror, I saw something flash in his eyes. You want to know, he sneered. Let me imagine, Aga Sahib. You probably lived in a big two or three story house with a nice backyard that your gardener filled with flowers and fruit trees. All gated, of course. Your father drove an American car. You had servants, probably Hazaras. Your parents hired workers to decorate the house for the fancy mahamanis they threw, so their friends would come over to drink and boast about their travels to Europe or America. And I would bet my first son's eyes that this is the first time you've ever worn a pakul. He grinned at me, revealing a mouthful of prematurely rotting teeth. Am I close? Why are you saying these things, I said. Because you wanted to know, he spat. He pointed to an old man dressed in ragged clothes, trudging down a dirt path, a large burlap packed filled with scrub grass tied to his back. That's the real Afghanistan, Aga Sahib. That's the Af- Afghanistan I know. You, you've always been a tourist here. You just didn't know it. Yeah, that's such a good speech. Yeah, and I feel like it does add some much needed realism Mm -hmm. to this often fable-like story because it is true um amir grew up in luxury and wealth and privilege and many people in his idealized childhood version of afghanistan were living in poverty and had many struggles that he had no idea yeah and i also read another thing that was there's a really good slate article uh that i'll refer to again later kind of it's from 2005 saying like do you have to read this book like is it as good as it says yeah and one of its criticisms was that the author hadn't who was from afghanistan hadn't been back in 26 years like roughly the same time yeah uh that amir was gone and so they said that like a lot of the depictions of childhood were kind of like overly glowing and kind of nostalgic yeah. and like overly. And I agree that's true to an extent, but I also think this part is maybe a way of kind of acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Kind yeah. of like putting a pin in it and saying like, listen, this was my experience or how I remember it. And it's certainly not 
the reality for many people. Yeah. Afghanistan didn't go from like an Eden to like a hell on earth in in like, you know, just these 20 years. Like there's always been problems to an extent. Yeah. Uh, So I did think that was uh, really interesting. I agree. Yeah, so they go to the orphanage, Mm -hmm. um, basically find out that the orphanage director has been selling children to um, a specific Taliban official, um, and it is implied that these children are abused. Yeah, and so this is like another insightful moment to see just kind of how desolate a lot of Afghanistan is at this point. Yeah. So they go to this stadium uh, during a soccer game, where they're told this man lives who bought um, uh, Sorab, yeah. Hassan's son. And they're or told... Where he'll, where he'll be, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, he'll be the one making speeches. And so sure enough, they go. And during the halftime of the soccer game, they witness a... Uh, public sh- execution. Public execution uh, uh, by Sharia law, where they uh, stone a man and a woman to death. Yeah. And it's just like very uh, and I think the movie did a good job, too, of just making this like very grim and just kind of like real. It doesn't try to like dr- over dramatize it in a no, way. And it's just like the stark reality. There's like guards patrolling the stadium. So clearly everyone has to like stand up and participate and act like they're part of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, looking for anyone who might be protesting uh, so yeah, it is very weird. And especially that juxtaposition of like a public, like stadium, like this is just like an entertainment thing. And they're like, oh, also we're going to murder people. So to, just to remember like what type of country you're living in. Yeah. And so they see the man that, uh, who, who purchased, um, Sorab and they like schedule a meeting with him essentially to sit down with him. And it's yeah. like weirdly easy uh, they kind of talk about in the book. They're like, yeah, I guess like it's not that hard to like get a meeting with people. Yeah, it's it's easy to meet with the Taliban. Not so easy to leave the meeting. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Alive anyway. Yeah, it's like, sure, if you want to show up to our house, like go for it. Yeah. So this is kind of the big, you know, the feeling of dread. He's really going into the lion's den. He shows up at this house and... Uh, is like escorted in in the book there's only like two armed guards in the movie it's like a compound there's like 20 dudes there (laughs) and he's brought into this room and is awaiting to and it's weird because in the movie the guy who shows up isn't who he was there to talk to yeah i know Um, i was confused by that i was too uh in the book it is the guy he meant to talk to yeah and we they're you know talking and the guy's going on and on about the Taliban how great they are and you know what are you here for and Amir's trying not to piss his pants the whole time and is yeah. like I kind of want this kid can you give him to me please don't kill me please <laughs> um, but is also surprised by how he kind of like shit talks him too yeah and we soon find out that this isn't just some rando Taliban leader. It is none other but the ghost from his past, uh, Asef. Yes. Hitler, uh, crazy sociopath, Asef. And I didn't feel like the guy in the movie looked like the child version of Asef. No. Like, I was like, wait, do we remember who this is? Yeah. I mean, 
I think it was just like the it's only just, villain. It's an adult now, so let's just like yeah, y- yeah. But like you said, this is another moment where like there's a couple moments in this movie where I'm like, we could have benefited from like seeing a different perspective. Yeah, like whether or like sometimes I felt like voiceover would have worked. Other times I'm like getting like cutaways might have worked too. Like in the explanation about. Uh, Hassan being his dad's son. Yeah. Like maybe a cutaway to his dad blowing up about Hassan's not going anywhere. Like yeah. that kind of thing. To... Scenes of them together. Yeah. yeah. In a similar way, I felt like in the movie, it could have benefited from like a flashback. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. This scene goes down pretty much how you would expect. Uh, Amir gets the shit kicked out of him and is almost murdered. He, I mean, like he gets his ass kicked in the movie. Yeah. In the book, it is just a brutal, brutal beating. Oh, yeah. Like, bro. He's, like, inches from death. Oh, yeah. Like, knocked out half his teeth. His- he had, like, seven ribs broken, a punctured lung, a ruptured spleen. Yeah. And, you name it. And I also, like, in the book, he, like, starts laughing. Yeah. Because he's, like, been secretly, like, wanting an ass kicking, like, this whole time. <laughs> He's like, this is everything I've wanted it yes, to be. Finally, someone's like punishing me for my sins. Punish me more. <laughs> um, but Sarab is there and it's clear that he's been sexually abused um, by Asef and the rest of this group here. And it turns out Sarab is really great with the slingshot, just like his dad uh, and is basically comes to Amir's defense and ends up taking out Asef's eye. Like, just takes it right out. When, once again, one of those cyclical moments, because, like, when Hassan defended Amir against Asef in, the be- the, in their childhood, he mentions, like, I'm aiming this slingshot at your eye. And sure enough, like, you know. Yeah, and he's like, they'll call you one-eyed Asef. <laughs> yes. And, of course, his son, Sorab, or Sorab, shoots out his eye with this, like, metal ball. And they manage to escape because... You know, he's got a metal ball where his eye should be. Yeah. In the movie, obviously, they have to, like, escape more. So they, like, go out the window. And then there's a scene (laughs) of Amir, like, trying to make it over this low wall. (laughs) But he, like, can't do it. And it's like, yes, I know he's been beaten up. But it's just so funny to watch him try and get over the wall. (laughs) I think it's because, like, it cuts back and forth to their escape and uh, the guys becoming aware of them escaping yeah. and running out after them. And the, like three of the times it cuts back to a mirror. It's just him climbing. Still trying to get over, <laughs> over the wall. This wall. <laughs> um, but they do get back to the Jeep. Yeah. And uh, they manage to escape in the book. They have to take him to a hospital and he like probably would have died. Yeah. Oh yeah. If they had hadn't gotten there as quickly as they did mm-hmm. uh he has to have his jaw wired shut yeah it's He's intense got all these stitches his face is just like totally fucked totally massacred yeah uh <laughs> so he's like real bad looking so i just want to talk a little bit about some of the differences here between the book and the movie in the book amir is expecting to bring um Sarab to like an american couple that's living here for, so that they can adopt him um, in the movie, though, he's like, I have to bring him back with me to America so I can adopt him. And it's not in the book. It's not until later that they realize that 
uh, Raheem was just totally lying to him about like this couple wanting to adopt him. He's like, I knew you wouldn't want to adopt him. So I thought that like, once you got him and realized he had nowhere else to go, you would just have to accept him. Cause like, you're kind of shitty, but like, you're not that shitty. So yeah. Raheem Khan is pretty terrible. Oh yeah. In a lot of ways himself. Yeah. Clearly like just kind of pushing this child. Like, I mean, he's like puppet mastering this whole like scenario. Yeah. With like no regard to like the human people involved. Also, Amir doesn't call his wife Soraya about this whole plan of his to go into Afghanistan and rescue Sarab or even tell her about his past until he gets back. And he hasn't like called her in a month. And she's just been like, you've been in Pakistan for a month and I haven't heard anything from you. Yeah. Luckily in the movie, he calls her before yeah. he leaves. And I'm like, thank God. I like- know. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, I have to do this. And she's like, of course you do. Like, you do this and we'll adopt him and he'll be fine. Yeah. Scott. So yeah. In the book, he doesn't call her until his like jaw is wired shut. And she's like, why can't you talk and on he's the like, phone? listen, I have to tell you about this kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yeah, so he is trying to kind of, he's trying his best, I guess, after his ass kicking. Also, (laughs) quick mention, Raheem Khan, like, bailed. Oh, yeah, he just fucks right off. He fucks right off (laughs) while uh, Amir was in Afghanistan, but he leaves him a note and some money. And in the note, he mentions, like, I've also left you all the money I have because I have a feeling you'll need it. The subtext being, in case you get your ass completely handed to you and need to pay hospital bills. So I have, like, this random theory that Rahim is a ghost. Mmm. And, like, his, like, one last thing that, like, kept him on Earth, like, his spirit from, like, leaving was to, like, get someone to help Hassan's son, Sarab. Oh, I think you get someone to kick Amir's ass. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then he's like, okay, so he gets, like, Amir there. And then once Amir goes, he, like, dissipates, basically. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that. <laughs> I mean, like, I I know you're, like, half joking, but, like, it does have that quality to it. Yeah. And it just kind of, like, The vanishes. mythical vibe. Like, yeah. a wise old man coming at just the right time to, like, propel the hero forward in his journey. It's also weird because, like, um, he's not, like, when they ask, like, when Amir's asking about Raheem Khan, I think it's the landlord is yeah. like, I'm afraid he's gone. He's like, oh my God, he died. And it's like, no, he's just gone. No, he just fucked right off. And it was confusing reading the book. I'm like, wait, he literally just left? Because <laughs> it makes it sound like he's just like a cat who goes somewhere to like die. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, don't bother him. He's fine. He's fine. He gave you all his money. He literally has he's nothing. He's going out into the desert to lay his weary bones to rest. <laughs> I don't of, know. Just lay under a tree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So now... Uh, Amir has this kid who he doesn't know who's like incredibly emotionally scarred. Oh, yeah. From he's everything he's been through. Super fucked up. And this is where the book just does not let you rest at all. Like does not let you rest because he's trying to adopt him and they're running into obstacles, which in the book is like uh, kind of this large subplot. And I think it is interesting that the author's drawing attention to the plight of like refugees and orphans in yeah. like a war-torn country and how hard it is to get help for them and to get them adopted as well. But he like tells Sarab that he might have to go back to an orphanage. And Sarab is like, yeah, no, I can't do that again. So he tries to kill himself. 
this was the part. I re- <laughs> remember I told you I remembered one part specifically. Yeah. This was the part. And the weird line that I still remembered was when he tells him about the orphanage, he's like freaking out. Yeah. And cries and cries and cries until he like basically passes out. Yeah. And Amir is like, I remember reading somewhere that like children deal with like stress by like falling asleep. <laughs> and so he just like leaves him to sleep. Yeah. I like remembered that line. Wow. Isn't that weird? It is weird. I have no clue why <laughs> I remember that line specifically. And then I just remembered that he tried to kill himself. <laughs> And for me, oh God. So like there's two huge horrendous things that happen in this story. One is the sexual assault. Yeah. By someone who's like, it, it is, Asef isn't older than. He's uh, older. Is he? Yeah. Okay. like, But how, not by much, I think. Yeah. Not, not a lot. Maybe like 16 or 17. Oh, okay. Uh, well, still like, it's still like this like horrendous like sexual assault that is like really it's not that it couldn't happen or you know what I mean or anything like that but I mean it's like really traumatic this big thing yeah to the point where it's almost like oh my god like and then this is the other one yeah where it's like for a 10 year old kid to try to kill himself yeah it's almost like 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 I said I'm sure I'm not saying it's impossible or you know outside of possibility or anything like that but for both of these things to be in this book is almost just like... I know. It's too much. And for one to happen to like the father and the other the son. Yeah. It's just too much sadness. I think the movie was smart in skipping this because I feel like this close to the end, it's just hard to put in another emotional, like intense scene when it really you need to wrap up the story. Like, yeah, because like the first time... The first event that happens is like, okay, this is clearly like the fixture of the story. This is like the turning point. This is like yeah. a big event. So I, I will like, you know, uh, give into this very like almost contrived like sexual assault in the alleyway kind of scenario. You know yeah. what I mean? But then for this second thing to happen, it just really feels like the author is really pushing this like super traumatizing dramatic narrative that at this point is almost like ah gee of course yeah of course the kid tries to fucking kill himself like you're just like it's too much sadness it is you're just like i'm weary at this point yeah and it's sad enough like i think the movie leaves this part out thankfully and i think which makes a lot of sense yeah like the kid has gone through enough oh yeah he's traumatized enough yeah he can still be traumatized without doing this yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. And like in the book, he was starting to warm up to Amir. Yeah. And then this, uh, after this event, he's like completely shut off again. Yeah. They're able to bring him back to America and to essentially adopt him. And it is a lot of, in the book at least, uh, Sorab just being very closed off. And we get this final scene in both the book and the movie of them flying kites together. Mm-hmm. And this kind of being a sign of like maybe Sorab is like, opening himself up a little bit again. But all I have to say, Ian, is why is this child not in therapy? Why? Why is this child not not? seeing like a child psychologist after like everything he's been through? And it's like, maybe he is in the movie because like the movie has to kind of like, you know, go through this stuff kind of quickly. Yeah. In the book, it's like, nope. it should have been mentioned if he was. Like, yeah. the fact that it doesn't mention it, I'm assuming it's canon that he's not in therapy. Yeah. This kid who was sexually assaulted, like, for... 
by many people for a long time. Yeah. And is now has tried to kill himself and isn't saying a word. They're just like, we'll just wait it out. Yeah, he'll be fine eventually. Yeah. Right? He needs to be in therapy. And, and at the end, uh, Amir's like, I think I saw him smile a little. So he's fine. And isn't like that what it's all about? You know, just smiling. Yeah. Like, even a little bit. Maybe there is hope. <laughs> <laughs> just like, excuse me. I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's so, I don't know. Like, we needed, like, the buildup of... and. Luckily, I knew this part was coming up reading it again this time. Yeah. The attempted suicide. But, like, it would have been so much more, like, gratifying if it was just kind of this, like, slow buildup of uh, Amir gaining his trust. Yeah. Trying to navigate this system of adoption. Yeah. And ultimately, like, bringing him home. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, by the after, like, the suicide attempt, there's, like... Not very t- many pages left. 10? Yeah. 15 pages, maybe? Of, like, wrap-up in America. And I'm like, no, no. We need more time to be, like, a little hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I don't know. The book is just, like, so committed to beating down every hope Yeah, they're like, you "You are not getting off the sad train yet. No, it's like whack-a-mole. Anytime it, like, pops up, they're just like, whack Damn. (laughs) So that's the end, though. Yeah, that is the end. So which one's better? I don't really have to think about this too much. Uh, I think the movie, even though like the way it's made isn't like super interesting or like anything, you know, at all. Like it's a fine companion to the book, I guess, if you know the story and really want to see a movie of it. It's there. But I think what makes the book so interesting, I mean, first of all, it's kind of this fable quality to it that in a lot of ways does work for the book. But also, like, getting all the interesting detail about, like, not only Afghanistan as a country and a culture, but also, like, the prejudice and racism going on there and, Mm -hmm. like, the Taliban taking over and kind of what that's done to the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those details are so integral to what makes the book interesting and worth reading. Yeah. That I just don't think the movie was able to capture I agree. Yeah, the movie is a pale comparison, I think. It's mm-hmm. it's very faithful. It is. Um, it follows a lot of the book, but it doesn't really do anything new or interesting that I thought was like better than the book did. No, I, I think it did make some smart uh, story edit choices, namely uh, the suicide attempt near the end. I'm like, yeah. thank God we don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but ultimately like, and and like I said, I think it does its best in terms of explaining the Pashtun Hazara prejudice going on and kind of like those dynamics at play. But ultimately I just think a skilled filmmaker could have filled the movie with more subtle moments. I agree. That would have like added a lot of like detail to kind of like observe and absorb Mm -hmm. because i really do think that's like what makes a really good filmmaker yeah is you're able to fill scenes like with a lot of like details and moments and like interesting little dynamics at play quiet moments exactly yeah and and so even though like from a script point of view it does a decent job i just think ultimately it's kind of not nearly what the book was i agree even though i had some problems with the book um, ultimately, I do think it's a really great story and 
an important one for people to read to really expand what they know about Afghanistan and just like another culture. Um, and it is really like a human story that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's good. I did we read one criticism in that Slate article. I'll link to it in Patreon. It was a really good article. Uh, the one thing they said was it is a little bit, and I agree with this, like the the story of Amir is very like simple in terms of like he committed a sin in his past. And he has to atone. Yeah, he has to atone by doing A, B, and C. Yeah. And it's like the but that feels oddly paired with the problems of the Middle East, mm-hmm. which the book also explains in a lot of ways and is very committed to showing you. But like those issues are so oh yeah, nuanced and complicated and like very intricate. And it's like it feels almost like a disservice to those problems to like have this character. And it's like all he has to do is he's. Get the shit kicked out of him and then he's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like an overly simple story in an overly complicated setting in a way. That's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was too. It wasn't necessarily something I had thought of or was able to put my finger on it, but I kind of agree. Yeah. So we're going to say book. We're both saying book. All right, let's do lightning round. Lightning. So first for lightning round, uh, in the book, so Hassan has a cleft palate. Yeah. And it's this big um, uh, birthday gift from uh, Baba that he gets it fixed for him. Yeah. Which is like really kind of sweet. In the movie, he doesn't have the cleft palate. They didn't didn't want to do like prosthetics or anything. Yeah. And so at one point, Baba is like, it's your birthday. Like, I have a big surprise for you. And I couldn't help but laugh and be like, we're going to fix your fucking face. (laughs) (laughs) Your ugly face. (laughs) Um, But instead, they take him to a kite shop and they buy him a kite. Which is cool and nice, except it's weird because then Amir flies that kite for the tournament. Yeah. And so I'm it's like, like kind of Amir's kite. It was like kind of Amir's present. Yeah. Which was weird because I mean, yeah, I, I don't get it, but I yeah, thought I don't it, it's kind it of quite, funny. It doesn't quite work in the movie. No. <laughs> I want to mention a part that's in both the book and the movie, um, but was kind of funnier, I think, in the movie is that Baba hates Russians, obviously, because they invaded <laughs> Afghanistan. Um, so when they're in America um, and they're celebrating Amir's graduation and they're at the bar, uh, Baba ends up like cheering and like pouring like shots with like the bar and he's like fuck the Russia <laughs> and, everyone's and everyone's like, like yeah fuck yeah the Russia. fuck the Russia <laughs> and then later when Baba has cancer um they go to a doctor first who is Russian and in the movie it's so funny because he the doctor says that he his family's from Russia and Baba just like pushes him and like gets up and leaves <laughs> It was really good. I, I thought that was a funny, one of the funny moments that like really landed well. Oh, yeah. Both of those. Uh, so we have to talk about a, 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 an event that was only briefly mentioned in the book, but I had to look up because it piqued my interest so much. And that's Buskashi, if I'm pronouncing that right. And it was described as guys on horses fighting over a lamb carcass and trying to throw it into a hole. And there are like no rules. You can just do whatever you want in this game. And I was like, I have to look this up. And so like I watched like a five minute YouTube compilation video and we'll post it on Patreon. Oh, my God. It's wild. Like so the holes they're throwing them into are like kind of like raised. It's almost like a big well looking kind of a thing. Yeah. And the guys will just leap off the horse like 
against the side of the hole just to like throw they're like dragging this carcass around oh my god other guys on horses are like pulling and like fighting over it, and then they'll just like leap with it at the hole just like full body into oh my god like the concrete i'm like this is absurd and like so entertaining <laughs> it reminds me not like the same way at all but kind of the recklessness of it like bullfighting you know what i mean like kind people of. getting trampled all the time yes it's almost like, just imagine any sport, like <laughs> basketball, but instead you're throwing a sheep carcass, like through a hoop. <laughs> or football, but with a sheep carcass. <laughs> oh my God. So next up for lightning round, um, when Amir and Hassan are young, they go to the movie theater to watch movies. And one of the movies they watch is The Magnificent Seven, and they love it, like this cowboy mm-hmm. movie. Um, and it's really funny because they actually realize partway through that the characters are not uh iranian yeah because like the the movie has been dubbed so like they think that these characters are from you know the general area where they are and when they find out they're actually american and speaking in english and it's been dubbed by another actor they're like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so funny they're like you mean those men aren't like muslim yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the dad's having a good laugh about it which it's like yeah, like if those are the only kinds of movies you saw. Yeah. It's like of course you would, you'd think that. Yeah. So it was just a really funny moment. I really loved that. Yeah. And that's it for Lightning Round. And that's it for the episode. Thank you again to Bianca, our patron who requested this episode. It was a really fun one to talk about. A lot of great discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a book that I've been meaning to read for forever, and I finally read it. So. And I'm glad I got to reread it. So. Thank you so much. Uh, If you want to become a patron yourself and give us your own recommendation, you can find us on Patreon. Mm -hmm. And uh, by becoming a patron for any amount of money per month, you'll get access to all of our bonus episodes. We just did a bonus one on the BBC miniseries of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. And uh, we all you also get uh, early episode schedules as well as priority for any suggestions that you give. Mm hmm. Uh, so yeah, find us on Patreon and support the podcast. We're also on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. So find us there. You can also email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. So yeah, just find us anywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.